welcome to the Catholic Connect podcast. I'm your host, David Scubin. This is a podcast for all Catholics and people of goodwill who strive to live in the world, but not be of the world. First and foremost, we need to be disciples of Jesus ourselves. And then we go forth and make disciples of all nations, just as our Lord commanded. Through a series of timely topics and great guests, we will take that long and narrow journey to heaven together, encouraging each other in faith and virtue along the way. So let's get started. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. Uh, so excited to welcome the following guest to our podcast. He is an author, a commentator, radio host on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Uh, most importantly, though, he is a family man, a husband, and a father, and he's also our brother in Christ. Welcome, Mr. David L. Gray, to the Catholic Connect Podcast. Uh, welcome to the Great White North, David. <laughs> thanks for having me on here oh you're very welcome no it's great to catch up with you finally have you ever been to canada before david i always ask our u.s guests if they've ever made the trek up to the wilds of canada yeah david when i was um oh man when i was in college back in the 90s going to the caravana in toronto ah. was an annual thing for me um jason my friend my best friend jason and i and then, um, then when I was a Freemason, I made a couple of trips up there, also to Ontario to speak about Freemasonry. And but lately, I think the last time I was in Canada, I was in there, was there for um, went to my favorite city there, which is Montreal, which is a beautiful the one city. I think one of the most beautiful cities in North America. And um, I was there in the winter time, and I didn't mind it at all. It was it was it was beautiful, lovely. Transportation is great, so yeah. Yeah, I enjoy Canada. I haven't really been out west Canada, so but um, maybe one day. Well, hopefully, when all this craziness in the world subsides, uh, hopefully with uh, by a miracle, I think only by God. Now, maybe you can come up here and, and travel to Western Canada. We'd love to have you. Around. Maybe take you to a hockey game and uh, and introduce you to some Canadian bacon. Maybe I don't know or something. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Yeah, just like I said offline, I, I'm I'm a little bit new to your ministry, and you just mentioned that at one time you were a Freemason. So I'm sure our listeners that must have perked their ear, which was great, but. You've got such a, a an outstanding story. I've I've been following. Uh, uh, you have a a weekly a weekly uh, talk show on Guadalupe Radio on Wednesdays, and I believe that's also simulcast or or not simulcast, but transferred to a podcast as well. And then you have a YouTube mm-hmm. channel. But maybe tell us a little bit about this uh, this uh, wild but a wonderful journey that you've had in the Catholic Church. You went from being I guess a nominal Protestant to being in, in, involved with Freemasonry, and now ultimately you're home in the Catholic Church. Yeah, David, it was it's something that still surprises me to this day that I'm Catholic. And I celebrated my Catholic anniversary just the other day on August 8th, the Feast of St. Dominic. And um, and there I am in uh, the sweetest heart of Mary Catholic Church in, in Detroit, which has a very reverent Norvis Ordo. And I'm sitting there and just just shaking my head like here I am 15 years later. And um, in the Catholic Church, I didn't see it coming because, you know, for a number of reasons, obviously, I didn't, um, you know, at the point in time, I, I realized that Jesus Christ was a real person and that he was interested in my life. It came through a horrifying experience, uh, some people would, would think, because I was in the process of committing suicide because I didn't have, I didn't think anything else was 
I really didn't have any reason to live. You know, I was an agnostic and I felt that life decisions had put me in a position where everything I thought meant something to me, everything that gave me, gave me value in life, everything that I felt made me, me, who I was, um, the hedonist I was, was all going to be taken away. You know, as an agnostic, I had, you know, I think everyone has their own God. Either, you know, we, we oppose God and we have our own God, even if we don't believe that there is a God. And as an agnostic um, who eh, denied the nobility of God, right? Um, I still had to have my mo- own moral law, I had to still determine what was right and what was wrong. But the thing about not having, not being grounded in the truth of Jesus Christ is that, you know, you can make up things as you go along. What's true one day for you is not true one day. So, you know, there I was after years of embezzling money for my job. And um, and I felt that God had led me out of that. You know, I remember the first time I, I prayed, David, that first time I prayed in a long time. So I got in this cycle of embezzling money for my my employer, not because I needed the money. Obviously, you know, my wife and I had great jobs. Just is a rush and a thrill of doing it and getting away with it. And, um, but it became addictive. It became habitual. And I knew that the life I was leading was not the type of life that would position me to be the type of father I wanted to be. And the type of father my daughters deserved that I would be. And so I remember in my office, this is back in maybe 2003, back in my office at home, I got down on my knees. I'm looking at my younger daughter, Deja. She's just playing on the ground, my middle daughter. And I, you know, I just, um, you know, sadness overcame me about how I was living my life. And so I got down on my knees in the office and I prayed, God, if you're real. Now, that's usually how some of the best in prayers begin, right? Um, the results of which are oftentimes, <laughs> you know, is the result that you don't necessarily see coming when you, when you dare God in that way. But, and so I pray, God, if you're real, right? you should help me stop stealing this money. And so sure enough, I go to work the next day, David. And typically it was that time of the week where I would have to uh, create a new wire going to my account so that the pattern matches so I don't get caught. And there I am about to do what I usually do. And I have this feeling of disgust that just overwhelms me. And I'm like, huh. Okay, maybe God is real. <laughs> and so after that, I'm pretty much convinced, right, that, that God is real. But as far as God being personally in the rest of my life, that won't really come until later. So, you know, I left that job. Well, I got a promotion out of the job to become like the chief auditor over the whole company, which is, I know, ironic. But, <laughs> but, and then I'm in that job, you know, for a while. They find out what I did, you know. And so, um, you know, so I get arrested. I'm in the county jail. And there I am. Facing what I thought was a long time. They said nine years. And like I said, you know, the, all that Masonic fame I accumulated, all the degrees, all the money, everything that, you know, was values is over for me. So I put a bag over my head. And put a sheet around my neck, sort of tight to tighten it up. And so what I'm trying to do is commit suicide um, through asphyxiation, suffocate myself. I don't know if it's going to work, but it's the best means I had available to end 
what I thought was my miserable existence. And so there I am trying to tighten up this bag and rope around my neck. And I hear a voice in about the second and, and a half turn while I'm trying to turn myself in this bed. And I hear a voice audibly clear from without, not within. There's an audible voice from without. And the voice said, I love you. I am here. Clear as day. Me saying it, um, you know, in the cadence of my voice, timbre of my voice, doesn't really communicate how clear it was. It wasn't loud, but it was not loud, but it was clear. Right? And, and I turn around, I'm looking to see who said that, because that's what you should do if you just hear a voice like that. And and no one, it seemed to be no one has said that. And I was pretty sure that voice didn't come from a human. But and then when I asked the question in my head, who, who was that? Where did that come from? The answer that immediately came back to me was Jesus, which was a very strange answer for me. Because I always, I believe for, for as long as I, considered a question really as, a, as an adult that Jesus wasn't real. Jesus was fiction. Jesus was made up. Back in college, I was very into the pan-African movement, black nationalism. So for me, Christianity was, you know, what we call a white man's religion. It was just used to suppress black people. Everything that bad has ever happened to blacks in this world was due to the fall of Christians. That's what I believe. As a Freemason, I used to go through the Masonic lodges enforcing Anderson's constitution that Freemasons cannot pray in Jesus' name, cannot sing church songs. So I was very, very anti-Christian anti and very anti-Christ. So, but this was the same Jesus that came to me and said he loved me and he was there for me. Strange. I mean, it's, it's just still strange for me today, just even to fathom God's mercy in that way. And, you know, stealing money was not the, uh, that wasn't the least of the worst things I've been involved with. You know, that, they may be the top five. I don't know, but I just wasn't a very good person. Um, but he had mercy on me. And um, so, you know, time went on, you know, still went to um, prison for a little while. I never I ended up not doing that the whole nine years. I got away substantially early but while i was there i began to ask some questions you know well if jesus is real well i have to follow him he saved me and i have read the new testament enough by that time because i had never read it before this before that encounter with christ but i had read it enough since then that in beginning of 2006 I began to really ask the question, well, what church do I belong to once I get out of prison? And I'm thinking, well, maybe I just joined my grandmother's church, the AME church that I went to sometimes, oftentimes when I was a kid. Um, but that, that didn't seem to be enough because there were so many churches. Why was it on me to pick one? So there I go again, David, asking Jesus, daring Jesus saying, well, if you're really God, 
you should have been able to keep your people together. <laughs> so I'm going to go look for the Catholic church. No, I said, if I'm, I'm going to go look for your church. And if I can't find a church that you've kept together, then I'm just going to assume that you're not really God. I'm just going to miss that voice. And so not long from that day, man, maybe a couple months, three or four months, I'm starting RCAA <laughs> because I had become convinced that not only was the Catholic Church historically the church of the church of the Bible, but that theologically that it could prove that everything that I believe today in regards to the sacraments and many moral teachings that it always believed. And I had no reason not to be anything other than Catholic. Not that I want to be Catholic. Catholic was the last thing I think I wanted to be. It was not my choice. You know, I still had some, you know, race issues I think I was dealing with as far as uh, me, the struggle, internal struggle I've had for uh, man, a lot of my life trying to figure out what does it mean to be Black? You know, I've never really ever really figured that out, but, you know, I was always wanting to pose, you know, to do Black things, right? And so part of posing as a black person, stereotypical or fitting into the, the stereotype or, or character of what it means to be a black American, I knew that being Catholic wasn't that, you know, Catholic being Catholic didn't fit into that. So, and honestly, I didn't even know black people could be Catholic. And that's how ignorant I was, despite the fact that I had a Catholic grew up cross street from a Catholic church and a Catholic high school and a Catholic rectory and the in the nuns of Notre Dame, right, all right there in my neighborhood. Just the fact of the matter is that whenever I woke up on Sundays and I looked across at St. James Catholic Church, never seen a Black person walk into it. So despite the fact that all my friends, so many of my friends went to Catholic school, I just didn't know that a Black person could be a Catholic. So and I really thought, man, David, I know it sounds weird, but this is how ignorant I was, that I really thought I was gonna, uh, this was going to be like some sort of Jackie Robinson event. Like I was going to like really cross the the color line that that me becoming Catholic was going to be sort of historic event because I just never heard of a black Catholic. But um, and didn't want to be Catholic. But you know, once you discover the truth, you have responsibility to follow the truth no matter where it leads you. So and so yeah, so coming full circle to August 8th, um, there I was, 2006, becoming Catholic. And um I've been fundamentally happy ever since. I'm interested. I, I, maybe I should have stopped you a little bit earlier, but when you read the story of um, Saul becoming Paul mm. and him, you know, riding on that horse and Jesus appearing to him, uh, was that, how did that story kind of resonate with you and just your, this metanoia moment that you had? I don't, that was the first thing I thought of when you told the story. So, yeah, you know, I mean, you know, we, we never really like to, you know, liken ourselves so much to the saints, you know, but I, you know, you know, because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm well aware of the sinner I am, but I, I guess there are some parts of the story to identify with of, of Paul, of him persecuting Christians. I, I definitely identify with that, of God then turning around and using me um to do the opposite of what I had done, right? How God has used me in these recent years to speak against Freemasonry, right? 
<laughs> and so, yeah, you know, I identify it with a number of ways. Um, you know, but I hope it ends there. You know, I don't hope to be on a ship one day and be shipwrecking, you know, and then suffer that type of martyrdom. I don't know. <laughs> well, that's what I was interested in, too, because, you know, you, you mentioned you're, you're a Freemason for many years. And, uh, you know, maybe you weren't uh, explicitly or really specifically trying to target Catholics and take them out of the church. Uh, you know, there's sometimes there's a little bit of that in our world today. And it's like, oh, hey, hang on, guys. Like, I don't think that's the, free, the, the, the Freemason, the Masonic movement, the, the beliefs of a Mason are certainly nefarious. Right. But, you know, I don't think that that was something that you went out of your way to do. But I guess maybe as you look back as on your life as being a Mason, you probably looked and said, well, yeah, there was just because of the, the creed that that uh, that a Mason is supposed to be believing, I guess, that you would be taking people away from having a relationship with Christ. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I wonder. I mean, definitely, I, I think I was <clears throat> more influential with the younger Freemasons than older ones. Right. Because I would get some pushback from the older Freemasons once I became a district deputy about this whole, you know, you're not going to be saying prayers in the lodge. And they would obey me to a certain extent um, because they wanted a good grade. They didn't want to get in trouble. But, you know, I would get pushback. But as far as, but <clears throat> as, far as corrupting the faith of younger men, I had no frame of reference about Catholics. The only, only thing I knew about Catholics really is that Catholic, the Catholic Church teaches that Catholics cannot be Freemasons. But that really didn't concern me. But but just, I mean, just who I was, just always poking that the whole Jesus story, raising questions, mocking Christ, and really stirring doubt in people's hearts and stuff like that. Um, yeah, you know, I definitely repent of all that I did to those younger Freemasons and um, hope that it didn't cause any lasting damage. Kind of an interesting uh, side note, just with my brush with the Masons, I never really had a, a lot of them. I've, I've met people that belong to the Masons, sadly, and some of them are, are Catholics that attend mass. Mm -hmm. um, try to have gentle conversations with them, but the um, there's a long time ago, and uh, I was pretty young. I was, I was very uh, blessed that our council, our Knights of Columbus council, uh, oh, great. got me to be the, uh, the Grand Knight for a couple of years, which was outstanding. I, I learned so much, but of course, one of the rules in the church in the Knights of Columbus, you can't be a Freemason and be a Catholic. So uh, found out and, and this particular gentleman admitted that he was a member of the Masons, went to all the meetings, so had a conversation with him. It was one of my, my duties, my roles. Didn't know a lot about Masons, but I had to call him up and say, hey, listen, um, you're a member of the Masons. Yes, I am. Uh, I, unfortunately, I got to tell you that you're no longer a member of the Knights of Columbus. And oh, he was wow. a little, he was a little upset with it, right? He's like, "Oh, that's ridiculous." He said, "You know, why can't Catholics be Masons?" So, and just hearing some of your previous stories, you know, that was something that you know everybody can become a Mason. Like when you're in the Mace, the Masonic movement or a Freemason itself, everybody's invited, right? And that was his. Mm -hmm. And right. uh, being pretty young, at what I should have told him is, your soul is in is in danger <laughs> because you're yeah. you're away from the church and from right. God. But right. I was very, oh, here's one of the bylaws, okay? <laughs> Sorry, man, don't yeah. argue, man. I'm, just, I'm, giving, I'm giving you the facts right now. Uh, you know, uh, you'll yeah. write a letter if you're going to complain. So I wish I would have had a, a bit of a better, a more spiritual approach to that, I guess is what I'm mm. saying. Mm. Um, but what would you say to, uh, yeah, to, to, to me, for, uh, this was already probably about 12 or 13 years ago, or, or someone that encounters someone that's a member of the Masons, you know, they may be a, a low ranking member, 
just getting in. Maybe they just want to have some community. That's the yeah. one I think I hear the most about is, um, hey, I just want to hang out with some other guys and do some yeah. fun things and have a few meetings and, um, you know, I don't know, shoot darts. I don't know what they would do. But, uh, yeah, what would you say to someone that's maybe joined the Masons, especially someone that's uh, that's a Catholic or, or even maybe not even a Catholic, but maybe just to say, hey, you know, what, what are your reasons for joining the Masons and maybe some reasons that we can kind of pull them back to the, the straight and narrow, I guess, mm-hmm. if you will. Yeah, I think you're on. I think you're on definitely on the right track with that. That, that first question, um, you know, why why did you join the Freemasons? Right, and oftentimes it's things that Pope Leo the Thirteenth talked about in the Shimana Genesis, and what Pope, Pope Pius the Ninth often talk about in the numerous cyclicals he wrote on Freemasonry. That Freemasonry poses that as being a philanthropic organization, as just a social organization. It and its female Masonic bodies, right? The Eastern stars and, and such, they, they, they have this public face. It's, it's, it's youth groups, you know, the Demo Lay and these other youth groups that, that pose as being just this family benign organization that just wants to raise money, have a couple fish fries and bury their dead. And so we should get into, and that chances are the person who's a Freemason who's joined, they join for one of those reasons. Uh, you know, 99% of the time, they're not someone who say, yeah, I became a Freemason to study the esoteric mysteries and the Kabbalah and get into the Gnosticism of Freemasonry, discover the secrets of the world. You know, and there may be some of that, maybe because they heard, maybe Freemasons know a couple of things, but largely that's not why men join. A lot of men join just want to get away, their, get away from their wife for a night, you know, have some brotherhood, right? So I, I think those basic reasons we can, we can hear and keep those in our back pocket. Um, but first, address what the church teaches. Um, we should always not deal with the Masonic conspiracies, or we should not get into the Masonic ritual necessarily, because every every Freemason enjoys a different Masonic ritual that's a little bit different than the other, depending upon their jurisdiction. So sometimes Christians and Catholics they make these errors. Protestants Catholics, brother, they make these errors when they're, um, they, they want to minister, evangelize the Freemasons. They say, well, you know, I read the ritual and you have this oath and this and that. And the Freemason, as soon as they hear that, they're off that conversation because they're easily, say, oh, no, that's, yeah, that, that wasn't my ritual. My ritual didn't say that. And so you would give them an out when we try to argue with them about Freemasonry. You can't argue with a Freemason about Freemasonry, right? But so we want to stick to what church actually teaches about why a Catholic cannot be a Freemason. And, and so um, Pope Clement XII laid out four easy reasons. You know, it's, it's indifferentism, um, that it practices naturalism. Um, Pope Leo XIII um, laid out five, I think five, six reasons built upon the same thing. Um, so and, and so you cannot be a Freemason because that's what the church teaches because it's, it's, it's good for your soul. Moreover, that a, a Catholic cannot be a Freemason no more than a Catholic can be a Muslim or a Jehovah Witness because Freemasonry is offering an alternative path to truth. It's an alternative path to salvation. So these are two different paths that cannot be reconciled. They're just naturally incompatible with one another. And so, you know, lay that out there. This is why the church teaches it. Okay. And then 
And then also, as we continue our conversation with them, we should never forget those other reasons why they told us that they joined. Because sometimes we can find those reasons. We can find it in Knights of Columbus. You know, we can, we can find fraternity there and brotherhood there and mission there and charity work there. So we can find something for that man to do um, that he needs to feel valued. Because one, one thing that Freemasonry does and why it's so hard to leave, because Freemasonry, you get in there, David, and Freemasons have all these titles and ceremonies and they make you feel important and all types of self-esteem juice. Um, they call you marvelous things, worshipful master, senior warden, grand this, grand that. Um, and this, this man, that's 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 self-esteem juice, especially for a man maybe doesn't feel valued at home or maybe he doesn't feel valued in life. That type of stuff, man, you start giving a man those titles and that, that self-worth, that, that's hard to leave. So, um, so we shouldn't also, we shouldn't be too um, disappointed when a Freemason doesn't hear us at first because he's going to have those ties um, that's going to make it hard for him to leave and hard for him to really hear what we're saying because it's an emotional thing at that point. So, but we have, we have to keep it up, but I definitely like what you said first. Why did you become a Freemason? You know, especially when you get see guys that are in the Knights of Columbus and they, and they, go to the uh, to join the masons and maybe they try to do both right kind of the secret hey i'm gonna be with the masons but i'm gonna still be with the knights of columbus mm -hmm. there's mm -hmm. enough to do in the church that we can keep men busy i mean over and above you know just having building on your spiritual life and your walk towards our lord and to heaven but um you know i guess uh, yeah i guess that's sort of the root of it though we got to ask those questions and see why and maybe there's there's these opportunities in the church and I was just thinking back to, you know, even when you were a youth and you just said, I, I didn't know that you could be black and be a Catholic. But, you know, there was a, this is a couple of years ago, David and I, uh, my, uh, my son, we, we play hockey up here. And if people don't know, you're in the, the St. Louis area. So I don't think hockey is quite as big, even though your team, the Blues, I don't know if you know, they won the Stanley Cup a few years ago. So yeah, there's, they're, yeah, they're, they're legit, bad. right? Yeah. They're legit. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Um, uh, the, there was uh, one of the moms on the, uh, the hockey team that uh, my son belonged to with his, uh, her, uh, her son was on. Uh, we had a, a very interesting conversation. I knew her husband as well. And we were talking and, uh, he's, I guess a, a fallen away Catholic is probably the best <laughs> way to, to say who he was, but you know, we were talking about life and philosophy. She was never a Christian or anything like that, but she was, you know, already in her early forties. But then I just said, you know, we were talking about, you know, the sacraments and just why, why, why are you a Catholic, right? And I was just, you know, just giving it a testimony like we all should be yeah. ready to give. And then I said, why don't you ever just come to the to our parish here? Why don't you just come, come with your family if you want to come by yourself. You can come sit with us, my wife and I, if you want, if you feel like, you know, you want to be with somebody. She's like, I, I didn't know that we could, I could just go. And I looked at him like, what? Uh -huh. So I was just thinking, Dave, you know, for all those years, you know, over 40 wow. years of her life, she was surrounded by Catholics, baptized, but, you know, clearly not practicing their faith, not evangelized or catechized enough to share their faith. And she spent over 40 years of her life and didn't even know she was invited to come to church, to a parish, wow. come to see Jesus. And I thought, wow. where are we at? We're in Canada. I mean, just like the United States is a free country, but there's so many of us Catholics around. There's... I think there's a third of Canadians are baptized. I know that there's a whole bunch in the United States as well, but maybe this is kind of the, the maybe an opportunity to talk a little bit about what can we do, David, to make sure that people feel welcome, but not in a sense of, cause we see the welcome now, right? Where it's like, 
okay, I'm welcome to what do anything I want. Morality, I can wave whatever flag I want. I can flaunt whatever vice that I want and come into church. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. accompaniment. You've heard that before. Um, mm-hmm. But inviting them, but in the spirit of true Catholicism, we're not going to yeah. leave you where you're at. We're going to bring you to to meet somebody so much bigger and yeah. introduce them to the love of Jesus. Does that make sense? What can we do, David, to to kind of foster that that mission back in our church again, especially in North America, that sense of mission and evangelization? Mm-hmm. And I think I think I think you said something in there that I really I'm attracted to. Um, inviting people to encounter Jesus. I mean, there's only one place in the universe where Christ in the flesh comes every mass, every day, except for Good Friday. I mean, he's truly there in the flesh. And the thing about inviting people to mass, though, is I think I always found a little bit difficult myself, was that it requires a bit of preface, right? That, you know, when, you know, when I was a, a Protestant for that short time, inviting people to Protestant church, you know, that's, you know, more about entertainment and music and, and, and the homily or a sermon that's about, you know, some sort of self-help, whatever. I, I think, I think there's a natural, I think people naturally get that, right? It's, it's nothing mysterious about it. Um, we're familiar with it, I, I think, naturally. Um, but what the mass is offering is something completely different is 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 offering worship par excellence and it's offering um jesus christ and so i think if we preface it right and preface it we ought we should be inviting people hey um and i'm inviting you to mass um and this is the unique thing about mass you know, we believe that Jesus Christ is truly there in the presence of the Holy Eucharist. And I'd like you to experience that with me. And, you know, you don't have to come, but uh, I, like, I would like you to. And I think just those simple invitations, you know, to friends or people who we, we know, I think can go a long way. But I think I do think we have to preface it. What do you think? Am I, you think I'm wrong about prefacing it? You think people could be lost and not really get it if we don't preface it? No, I, I 100% agree with you. And I think that, uh, but the thing that kind of, what's the word? I get, nothing hinders evangelization efforts worse than a bad example. And we have, <laughs> and we have so many bad examples, right? We talked a little bit offline about our, our two uh, leaders of our, our respective countries, right? Um, yeah. But, you know, we talked about this, too, in a, in a previous episode here on, on our podcast about uh, one of our guests, uh, Dr. Jason West. And I still remember he didn't get into the specifics of it, but he said the way people went up to receive communion. It was one thing that before he became a Catholic, he noticed that. And I thought, that's interesting. Our disposition spiritually, for, for one thing, for sure, and then mm-hmm. how we receive our Lord in the Eucharist. So, yeah, David, when, we, when we're showing up to church, if we're you know, inviting people off the street to come, hey, just come to church and you know, sit down and tell me what you think. <laughs> yeah, maybe that might not be the, the best approach, especially when, let's face it, a lot of our churches, they, they, I don't know, when you said you were in Montreal at one time, they might not look like Notre Dame or uh, you know, St. Joseph's mm-hmm. Oratory. You know, the, mm-hmm. that, that internal beauty that can really yeah. draw somebody in and say, wow, this, this is, I'm, I'm somewhere else. 
Um, but the Eucharist does suffice. It does. You're right. But I think, yeah, it's, but what I think of it, I, I hate to say it, but it's like, okay, I'm going to bring someone and tell them all about the Eucharist. Um, I know my own spiritual soul. I got to be clean. What's everybody else going to do when they go up to receive communion? Is it going to be something that's holy? They're going to receive with reverence or right. are they going to go up there and receive it? Like it's, you know, just, a, just another piece of food that they can get at a, from some vendor. Does that make sense to you? So yeah, I, I know what you mean by prefacing it, but yeah, yeah maybe, but what's the best approach, right? I, I, I don't know. Not mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's in the, the point about, and that's a, another hard thing about being Catholic. I think inviting people, um, yeah, you don't know what you're going to get sometimes, um, depending upon, um, where, where you take them. But, you know, I, I, I think, I think the, 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 the liturgy done well, I think it is so appealing in that, as you said, I, I think that a, a good soul, right? Somebody with, with, you know, um, you know, what, what we call a person of goodwill who, whose soul is, um, in a good place or maybe even a bad place. I'm not going to micromanage the Holy Spirit, but I think there's something about the liturgy that taps on the deepest part of us that's yearning for God. And I think that suffices. And I think that has the potential to really draw some people in. It doesn't work all the time. Obviously, people come to mass all the time, you know, but I, that's that's the people I don't think is really, really being prefaced for, for the mystery. And I don't think we have to spend a whole lot of time digging into the transubstantiation, transubstantiation and all the theology and what's going on there. But um, as a person who, you know, I've been in sales for most of, man, last maybe 10, 15 years of my life. and one thing I know is that, you know, when I was in auto sales, one thing I would never do was just put a customer inside of a car, you know, and just say, hey, figure this thing out, right? I'm in the car with them. I'm pointing out things. This is how this works. This is what this does. This is what's the best feature about this. Um, and after you come back from the test drive, let's talk about it some more. Okay, what did you like? And so, and I, I just think we're at that point at this point, that point in time in this post-Christian society where evangelization is a sales project, you know, and I think we, it's just, that's just, that's just where we at. We can't assume people understand and we have to do our due diligence to helping people understand. I'm glad you mentioned the sales thing. Cause I'm in sales myself, David. And a lot of the things that I don't know if it's like this with you, but a lot of the, you know, we all take these little courses and, you know, you know, 90% of them are just, you, know, you hear it to it's kind of in and out, right? But there are yeah. certain tools that, that have come up that I've I've taken as, you know, from someone in sales and actually applied them to, not to make it sound like we're selling Catholicism to people, but there are tools to make them understand a little bit more. Yeah. Understand what you're trying to, like I said, not to sell, but to share, maybe is the best way yeah. to put it, in Jesus Christ, yeah. right? And uh, yeah. so that's, uh, that, that is interesting. Yeah, I, I don't think, I think as evangelists, I don't think we're, you know, it's not that episode of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. I don't think we're always closing, you know, ABC always be closing. I, you know, I don't think we're trying to close anyone. Right. But um, we're definitely leaving them on to um, 
to some sort of decision, right? <laughs> and I, th- I think, um, and ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit that, um, you know, we're we're we're, um, we're planting seeds for in that sales process. And sometimes it's just a matter of them knowing who to talk to when they do come to that point. They said when yeah. you when you had your this you know this encounter with Jesus when you know he spoke to you it was in your soul audible it, you heard something right you know you heard yeah. something. But, you know, the next day things didn't necessarily turn around, but that was sort of that first step, right? Or, yeah. or you're heading on, on the right I'll path. I'll tell you what, the, the first day I went to, to Mass, David, I mean, I just knew I was in a completely other space. Because, like I said, I was a Protestant. I was going to these Protestant services. And, I, and, I, and I, like I said, I was asking those questions, you know, okay. And then and I got to the point where I was realizing historically, okay, this is a Catholic church. So I decided to go to the Catholic Mass. And I just knew I was in a completely other space. And I just knew this was, I knew I had come home. And I just don't think that experience is unique to me. I, I just think that a lot of people can have that experience if they just give the mass a try. Yeah, that's interesting too, for sure. The other thing we got to think about is, you know, think of all the Catholics that have left our church. They've been in our yeah. parishes. They've, they've received their sacraments. They've done all those things. And we've yeah. seen those statistics where, you know, for every uh, person that's a baptized Catholic we bring into the church, we have at yeah. least six that leave. So, um, yeah. and, and, they, and they live in a place like Montreal where they have the most beautiful cathedrals. They have streets named after saints. Empty. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're absolutely. And they're, and they're empty. Right. And, uh, yeah. So yeah, maybe this is this is the direction it goes in. It's distraction, isn't it, David? There are so many lures out in the world. There's so many distractions. You know, even something like this this virus. Uh, you know, it's it's come in. It's hit this our world, and it just doesn't even make any sense anymore. If anything, we've just seen the mass being suppressed in certain places, especially in Canada, where nobody could go. Like, okay, well, there's no public masses. Well, you know, as Catholics, we know everything flows from the Eucharist, from the mass. Right. And, um, so, you know, you have these dispensations and, and people taking, I'm sorry, but taking advantage of them a little too much. Okay. I understand maybe if you're, you're pretty sick, you know, you have a, a serious comorbidity, you don't want to be around other people, but let's face it. There's a lot of people that are still going out to sporting events to, to other activities and say, oh, I still got my dispensation, David. I'm, I think I'm going to just stay home and maybe, maybe you'll watch it on Skype. But it does come back to the Eucharist, though, doesn't it? I mean, we, we just can't do this thing over Skype or Zoom. We, we've got to do this. We, we have to be at Mass in person, don't we, David? Yeah, we, 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 it's, it's nothing replaces encountering Jesus Christ in the flesh. Um, you, and, you and I, are, we're having a good conversation via Zoom. Um, in each other's presence, the conversation would feel a little bit different, right? We may be able to get a little bit more out of it. We'd be in each other's presence. We'd be able to feel more body language. Um, people get the what it means that how um, being in the person's presence is different from not being in their their presence. I, I, I really feel for people who have been away from the Eucharist for so long, yet their hearts is not longing for the Holy Eucharist. I truly believe that um, that if if your heart isn't longing to reconnect, isn't longing to consume Christ after this long, 
um, if you've been away from the Holy Eucharist, then it's a time to reevaluate a lot of things, I think. And it's a, it's a time to, I think, really do some, some deep prayer and, and fasting because it's, it's unnatural that our, we, were, our, we were created for God. Our, 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 we were created with a heart that is restless for God. So if, if, if that's not, the, um, if, if you don't feel that naturally, anymore or at any time then it's it's something to i think really need one needs to really be concerned about i really do and like saint augustine says and i've we say this a lot but this is that sin darkens the intellect so when we are uh, not only away from church but even maybe we were going to mass but we're are we receiving the lord worthily are we discerning Mm -hmm. the body and blood of christ if we don't go to confession for years and, uh, you know, we've seen this, that Catholics that are, that are away from Christ and think about our political leaders, but other people as well, you know, we're not immune from saying some ridiculous things from believing in, in falsehoods and, and, uh, the anti-gospel can come and, and, and hit us very quickly. Right. Yes. What, when yes. you, um, back to when you came to the Catholic church, what did the Eucharist mean to you, David? What was the. Was that a real big tipping point for you? I, I know it's just on some of your videos you talked about even uh, just you know what the early church fathers said, things like that. But what, what was the what was sort of the tipping point? Was the Eucharist a part of that? Uh, I guess the um, that final journey to uh, to Rome. Hmm. The Eucharist was a struggle for me, David, because it just <clears throat> I, w- I wouldn't say this is hard to confess because um, I know faith is a gift from God, right? Um, but, um, it's something that I still struggle with, um, you know, the gift of faith in myself, because I know all my, I just have been a person all my life that I trusted the evidence and, and the evidence is what matters. And so when God spoke to me, I think he knew that's what I needed. I wasn't going to believe any other way, right? It was, it was never going to be a faith thing for me. Um, and same with the Blessed Mother Mary, right? I struggled with Marian um, devotion until I just had a, you know, a, you know, a very short mystical encounter when, okay, I, okay, evidence, I believe. For me, it's, it's the same with the Holy Eucharist. It was never really a faith proposition for me. I read a book called Miracles of the Holy Eucharist by Joan Carroll and where the, the flesh, the, the host had become actual flesh and the, the blood, wine, consecrated wine had actually become blood. All these Eucharistic miracles throughout the world. I read that and I believed the evidence, right? So, it, so it's always so my, 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 my journey, I guess we could call it a faith journey, but it's always really been evidence-based. And um, unfortunately, that's just, you know, how God has me at the moment, but it's, it's, it's fine. Um, Cause I know he's been with me and providing me, giving me these wonderful journey experiences of the evidence that he, he's there and he truly loves me. Um, but, but what it was for me, what was that really that turning point, David, was that realizing once I believed in the authority of the Catholic church, um, that it was, that that settled everything for me and it resolved everything 
that I had struggled with as a Protestant trying to figure out here I was 30 something years old thinking I could figure out the deepest truths of the Bible myself and wondering why, why did I have that right to know what was true in scripture and what's not was true, <clears throat> not true. And so once I accepted the authority of the Catholic church, everything else just, just really just fell into place. And um, it was, so it was really, it was trust. Um, trust and evidence is what, it just kept me kept me kept me catholic well that's uh yeah that's interesting and, and i mean even just that uh, that authority i mean it's uh it, i think it's really hard for for people to accept and again it's again i think that there's um it's the tendency to to original sin you know like mm, and i think that's mm-hmm. it's sort of the uh it's the topic that the world wants to avoid you know even some catholics want to avoid I want to read this. You're probably familiar with this already, but I stumbled on this probably about a year ago, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and it really, it really spoke to me on kind of where we're at in the world right now. So it's out of mm-hmm. uh, four, 407 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It says, The doctrine of original sin, closely connected with that of redemption by Christ, provides lucid discernment of man's situation and activity in the world. Mm-hmm. By our parents' first sin, sorry, by our first parents' sin, the devil has acquired a certain domination over man, even though man remains free. Original sin entails captivity under the power of him who thenceforth had the power of death, that is the devil. Ignorance of this fact that man has a wounded nature inclined to evil gives rise to serious errors in the areas of education, politics, social action, and morals. And that's the end. And I, when I read that, I thought, well, I mean, such there's, there's such great wisdom in the Catechism of the Catholic Church too, and it was a, it's a, such a gift to us that we can actually go in there and dig in and and find this uh, these passages. But yeah, what what is your thoughts on that? I mean, it does seem this this tendency to sin, to original sin. I mean, we've we've denied that there is sin, so now we have all this confusion in the world, David. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that yeah, paragraph four seven just it's really such a, uh, a little hidden gem. In, in in the catechism and in, in, in to let us know that those four areas that we see the most evil come out of, especially in these recent years in education and politics and social action, you know, these social uh, movements and, and morals that that Satan is using human beings um, the, in their agency to. Um, give rise to what the catechism calls serious errors. So in education, serious errors, politics, serious errors, social action, serious errors, and morals, um, serious errors um, that, um, you know, the devil is taking advantage of our wounded nature to uh, wound others more significantly. So, um, and I think that's, and that, and I think that really gives us a good place to start where we talk, when we start talking about how do we interact in culture and society to bring the light of Christ. If we were talking about at the, at the mass, we receive the fullness of Christ, we receive Christ himself, and we're dismissed so that we may give away to the world what we have just received. What are, what, what are those four places where we can do that? I think the catechism, that, that gives us an, an education. We have to be very active there. Politics, um, 
active in that in, in policy in in, um, in 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 um in the community and also you know with morals and, and values so and it's funny you know that you know pope leo was saying these same things about the freemasons that, that those are their that's the areas where they focus too with children and education and politics and in these um social clubs and you know corrupting trying to reset the moral order so um so so yeah some good stuff there for us to just really keep coming back to as you did and, and uh, <clears throat> seeing where we're failing there and seeing where satan is having these little short-term victories <clears throat> i've been uh reading a, a book slowly but surely it was uh, it's called the uh the devil and Karl marx <laughs> and oh, yeah. uh, you might have heard that that's from um dr paul kinger i believe his name is and uh, really opening my eyes to who this guy really was, because yeah. you know, I've, I mean, in the last couple of years, I've seen this, you know, just seeing what is happening in the, in the United States, uh, yeah. but not being prideful to the fact that, uh, you know, that's the one weird thing about Canadians. Sometimes that's the thing people brag about the most is the, the greatest thing about Canadians is we're not Americans, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. Um, but a lot, I think people don't realize in Canada, a lot of the problems that they see in the U.S. are just magnified because of the media. Canada, we have the same problems, the same, you know, there's the same um, influence of Marxism, of socialism, Mm. of these things that, these ideologies that are so diametrically opposed to Jesus Christ and the Catholic Church. Marxism, we we already talked about masonry, I guess this is the other M, maybe the other one is uh, modernism as well. Somebody that, uh, (laughs) I better not steal that, Jesse Romero, who I saw you met, uh, he he brought those up, the three M's, but. uh, Oh, Really? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so we'll have to put That's that on. A, we'll have to put that on a T-shirt or something. But yeah, how how, how um yeah? T- tell me tell me about the Marxist. I, I really feel that this is a, a threat, and I'm not just talking about the Chinese Communist Party, who's been clearly mm. influenced by them. And I think uh, you know, instead of us blaming each other, it seems is what the what our world wants, and what <clears throat> even people in the Canada, United States, the media want. Instead of pointing to each other for not wearing a mask or not getting <laughs> a jab. Uh, we should probably yeah. be looking at the guys that uh, that put this virus out to the rest of us. Uh, maybe we should start there. But we also see that with other is it social justice. And the one that comes to mind is Antifa, yeah. Black Lives Matter. Yeah. So many young people, David, are, are so attracted to this. Uh, how, how can we as Catholics kind of fight against this this movement? And it doesn't seem to be going anywhere. I mean, I mean, does it? It is just this 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 base Marxist principle that there's a victim class and that there is an oppressor class, right? <clears throat> and in in Marxists and in uh, the propagators, they they want to teach the victim class or get the victim class to believe that they are the ones that can save them. So there's this salvific aspect to Marxism that you're 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 a victim. And here's the oppressor. But for you to get over the oppressor, defeat the oppressor, you have to rely on us, right? And so this is always this, this revolution that's always stirring, that's always pitting these two groups against another. And it's offering this false hope, right? You look at a Black Lives Matter group. These people think race save them, right? That just because your skin color is brown or black, whatever the next, next gimmick is, your skin color can't save you. And there's there's nothing about who you are biologically that's necessarily salvific, right? But that's that's what they want to tell. I mean, even Marxism when they when they when you know when um, some original 
uh, originally, you know, the, the, the proletariat class and then the capitalists, right? You being a worker can't save you. Your, your human effort, your labor is not going to save you. Um, when we saw it with um, groups like, um, I don't know, um, liberation theology or the Nation of Islam, right? It's, it's the, 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 the same base narrative that, that um, you're being oppressed and you're, you're a victim. And that's really, that's spitting on the, the human dignity of the person that they can't be anything more than that, right? And so it's the most anti-Christian of, of, of systems that we see going on in society today. And we see it in the Catholic church. We see um, bishops and, and priests and people buying, in, buying into this and it's, it's just not going anywhere. It's going to be, it's, it's, it's going to be another thing. Once Black Lives Matter is over, once the 1619 Project over in the United States, um, it, it's going to be a, a, another thing. It's going to be another, someone else is going to come along and have another victim class of people. They're going to tell them who their oppressor is and they're going to say, I can save you. Right? And, and as human beings and as Christians, we need to just start believing that Jesus Christ is enough. I mean, at some point in time, Christ in his church has to be enough. It has to at some point in time. At some point in time, we have to stop pointing to these earthly mantras, whether it's Black Lives Matter or whether it's this or that. At some point in time, we just have to point to the crucifix and say, that's it. That's the truth. That's enough. I'm going to follow that. Because Christ in his grace is the solution to everything. If we don't want racism in the world, if we think that's a big deal, if, well, oh, well, racism is a sin and the grace of Christ can heal that, right? If we think pollution in the world is the biggest problem, okay, well, not taking care of the earth or what God has given us to have dominion over abusing that is a sin. Um, the remedy for that is not the Paris Accord, right? Whatever. Um, 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 abusing um, God's gift is a sin. And so the remedy, again, is Christ and his grace. Why? Well, well, how is it the remedy? Well, through grace, we become holy. Holy people sin less. More holy people who are sinning less makes the world a better place, right? And, and so everything is right there in the cross. I, I just don't know, David, why it's just not enough for people. Why do we always have to cling to the world? And these, these lies that's coming through education and politics and social action. So it, it's, it's just amazing to me and it's frustrating. You know, and back to that, this is already, I guess, might have been last fall, but I remember that one particular, it was a Catholic school. And I remember I was, I was telling you earlier, David, that in, in Canada, in certain provinces, we have publicly funded Catholic schools, uh, all in 100%. So, um, but there was a Catholic school and, and they, they took a knee uh, for the, for BLM uh, and these kids, these high school, there's a whole bunch of them. There's an Alberta here. Uh, no sense in, in uh, pointing out who, which school it was, but I was disappointed because David, all I could think about was, I mean, I think these kids are, they're trying to find something, right? They're, they're trying to find something to latch on to something noble to latch on to. And if somebody brought the monstrance there with Jesus Christ in the Eucharist before them, would, would they drop to their knee? You know, mm. in a Catholic school, I, I don't know if they would, um, mm. and that's that's just a sad reality of, you mm. know, that of, of what their, our state of affairs are, right? And 
But do you think that's what it is? Is it, especially for young people, I I look at that even just amongst my own family members, uh, even my friends that have children, you know, kids, kids just, they want to belong to something. They want to be a part of something amazing. And, but you know, like it says, you know, St. Paul says, you know, the, the, the cross, the message of the cross, it's, it's foolishness to those that are perishing. (laughs) <laughs> right, right, and yeah. um, you know, there's so many, so many that are perishing. But yeah, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? It, it, it seems like it really targets young people. The, these movements, right? They try to snatch them and they yeah, they take gullible. them, yeah. take them from our family, our Catholic family, don't they? Because they're gullible, and I get it. We 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 both were, were teenagers, and we want to fit in. I think to a certain degree, and I think there's a part of us naturally that appeals to the Marxist principle of there being this this poor victim class who everybody's stepping on, and so we should be let's get in solidarity with them somehow, even though we don't do anything other than take a, a knee somehow or raise a fist. Somehow we've this this visible sign of of showing solidarity. That's that that means something, right? I get it. I mean, who doesn't want to stand up for the little guy? Who doesn't? Who doesn't want to <laughs> cheer on the underdog, right? I mean, these are <laughs> these are the you know these are the things movies were made of. I get it, but we're missing it in all that the era in the in the lie in the demonic activity and the reducing of the human dignity of a person, making them just a victim who can no longer, not going to be anything other than that poor victim. Because no, there's no real plan to lift them out of victimhood. No, it's just really just exploited. And again, I just wish Christ and his cross and his church were enough. Yeah, I always think of, you know, just, just Jesus himself, just, you know, raising that cross and just picking everybody else up. From their sin you know as, as he's, yeah. he's lifted up on the cross and and that's that's the church we we just we can't leave people where they're at you know the, we, the church doesn't leave you and i where we're at but mm-hmm. to know that we got to go to go to confession and to to receive the eucharist i mean these are the things that that bring us up and bring us out of you know this uh this mud that we're that we're in in our, our society so um dave i i really appreciate your time the time is flying by and i uh Man, I've just uh, really loved our conversation. I hope you'll uh, you'll come on again and join us sometime. I do want to ask you before you leave, though what what is what's your rule in life? You know, what what is the one thing that you do? Maybe it's you and your family, or just you individually. But what's that one thing that you do every day to to grow in your in holiness and in your journey with Jesus Christ? Hmm. Yeah, I, I was I would say the things I I, I try to be consistent with, right? is um, mass, daily mass at least once a week. Typically, it's going to be like a Wednesday morning. Um, Confession at least once a month. And spending time, uh, spending the morning or at least some time during the day um, offering devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe. And um, you see my crucifix in the background, um, you know, just make sure I always go over there and, and kiss the feet of Jesus and just spend just time just reflecting upon the mystery of the crucifix. And, you know, just when, you know, when I'm praying the Our Father and every word of the Our Father has a special meaning when you consider the crucifix, right? 
like our father in heaven hallowed be thy name and and then it's then taking those words in the crucifix it seems like a paradox i mean the more we go the, the, the more words that we say of the our father give us this day our daily bread how can this man on a cross give us that forgive us of our sins how can this man on a cross do that and it's just this the unfolding paradox of a Lord who was crucified for our salvation and, and was raised on the third day, that how can he do that, right? In the mystery of his love, it, it just unfolds, praying to our Father while I'm looking at the crucifix for me. So those, those are really just, just my, my four things I, I really try to get in. And um, hopefully, hopefully one day, I don't have to spend too long in purgatory because of it. No, that's 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 so good, Dave. I just think it's so important, you know, just for our listeners to see what other other Catholics are doing in the world and what it means to 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 try to live this this life, this straight and narrow road to to eternity, and uh, to see that there's a lot of people that are that are with us. We're certainly not alone. So, uh, David, how can people get a hold of of you and your work? Uh, I know I've I've found you through YouTube, and I know you're on. Guadalupe uh, Radio Network. We don't get that, I believe, in Canada. I've never heard anybody get it in Canada, but uh, the, the power of the internet, I guess, has brought us together, and, and maybe there's ways that people can track you down. So how can they follow you, David? Yeah, you just, um, yeah, David L. Gray, my last name is G-R-A-Y. You just type that into the any search browser, and typically I come up, my website, davidlgray.info, and that's really the jumping off to, you know, everything I'm doing on YouTube or Facebook or Twitter. And um, yeah, so yeah, make but make sure if you type it in the browser, David L. Gray, make sure you put the L in there because there's this David Gray, he's some sort of singer. Um, I think he's out of Ireland or something like that. He's okay, you know, I like one of his songs, Babylon or something like that. But um, but other than that, make sure you put the L in there so you get the right David Gray. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, David, thanks so much for your insights and your your stories, uh, especially of, of faith and, and how we can be a, a witness in this world. And uh, look forward to, to staying in touch with you and, and chatting with you again sometime in the near future. Yeah, I look forward. I look forward to it, David. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with David L. Gray. I'm so glad that I stumbled upon his ministry through uh, YouTube. And he's got so much great stuff going on. He's an author. He's also got that weekly radio show and encourage you to go to his website, davidlgray.info, and gray spelled G-R-A-Y. And again, a big thanks to David for joining us, and I uh, hope we can catch up with him in the future. You know, I love David's story about his conversion to Jesus Christ and the church and how Jesus reached out to him in a very profound way to bring him into relationship with him, or at least to start that process of bringing him into the church and relationship with him. And that's the same for all of us. You know, we're in a confusing and a hurting world right now. And uh, there's uh, yeah, a lot of people are anxious. A lot of people are, are sad. They're depressed. And uh, I get it. It's not an easy time in the world for anybody. You don't have to be a Catholic. We know it's a, it's a difficult time. But, you know, a lot of times people ask, where was God in a cert certain situation where I was sad or depressed or where there was uh, an incident that was significant and wondering where God was in this? And, you know, the beautiful thing about being a Catholic and being in the Catholic Church is that that I can safely say that, that Jesus is always present. He's present in our churches, in the tabernacle, body, blood, soul, and divinity. And I loved it when David said, you know, Jesus and the cross, that, that should be enough for us. And it really is. And meditating upon that sacrifice on the cross, that, 
amazing love for all mankind. And the fact that he would have come to do that same sacrifice if it was just you, just you that was left that needed to be saved, he would have done it just for you. All that suffering, all that pain, but all that love just for you. So I encourage you to to look into being a Catholic if you aren't one already. Um, hey, it's open to everybody. Sometimes people just need an invite. Maybe you've never been invited. Consider yourself invited. And if you're a Catholic and you haven't been to confession in a long time and you're not living in a state of grace, that's okay. If you're living and breathing right now and listening to this, you still have an opportunity to come back to Christ in the church. So you got to go to confession. And that's like all of us Catholics. we got to go often. How often, you ask? we got to go every Lent, every Advent, and any time you're in a state of mortal sin. Don't even spend a second of your life there. Thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. God bless. We'll chat with you very soon.